Ross. Ross, what's happening, man? I'm actually walking towards the ocean in Santa Monica, and it's awesome out. That's oh, what's man. going on. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, life is pretty damn good. Yeah, I appreciate you calling in, man. Yeah, no problem. So just to paint the picture for you, I was a kid out here in Boise, Idaho, building model cars in my room, listening to the first Corn album, and just connecting so much with the lyrics and the emotions of it all. And so for years, I really wanted to talk to the man, you know, who brought that to the surface. So it means a lot to have you on the phone right now. Uh, thanks. I feel the same way about it. I, it's hard to take responsibility for an expression, you know. It's like we, I got to witness it, that's for dang sure. You grew up in Barstow, right? I did, and um, it really formed uh, uh, an intense, I, it's 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 intense living over there, yeah. Like everything is extreme, you know, with the the temperatures and the the dirt bikes and the you know kids dying and it, it was it was full on. So, what yeah. did you spend your I, early years doing out there? Uh, racing motocross and um, I crashing and healing and then um, having the bikes taken away and then started playing guitar. And the guitar was like, I don't know. There was something where when I would fall asleep and I'd have these dreams where guitar and dirt bikes were kind of the same expression. They were the same thing in my dream in the weirdest way because they both had like this full-on thing about them. And, uh, yeah, they're like somehow they're mysterious. They're scary. It's. It's really, uh, it's interesting, yeah. Who were some of your influences then musically when you were growing up in Barstow? Gosh, you know, mainly like just 70s Beatles and, yeah. At what point did you know you wanted to be a producer out of all that? Hmm. When I was working in a studio for the producer that did my thrash metal album, I was uh, spending all my time in the studio and and all these voices would come up and I would hear like what to do and what not to do and I would just keep my mouth shut and it was so it was so intense and and I loved it loved it loved it like and also I I figured out that I can be in like multiple bands rather than just one you know and I so it was it was a perfect I segue from when my band fell apart. I was playing with Dave McLean, and we were in a band together before. And uh, yeah, it, it was just like, this is what I want to do. So you just knew. Oh my God, yeah. And then I went into a, a Bank of America before I decided to be a record producer, and it said occupation, and I wrote record producer on it. <laughs> On my on my checking, you know, um, on a form, and that's how I started, how I became a record producer. I just wrote it down on a form and decided there, and I was, and um, I had this like real kind of experience a death around letting go of the guitar and and um, all of that, and uh, it was an interesting night, and I was working for Blackie Lawless as a second engineer on a wasp record <laughs> and and that that moment when i 
decided like all these tears were coming down my face in the middle of the night and there was like this little mexican bakery on the corner of santa monica and vine and i would buy i bought two flats of eggs and i went to blackie's roof on that corner and was chucking eggs at cars and sobbing man that's amazing so Many producers, you know, can put down a heavy It's room. amazing. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, there's a, plenty of producers that can put down a heavy riff or a cool beat, right? But not everybody can peel back the layers of, you know, the real feelings uh, like you can. When did you know that was something you were just completely gifted at? You know, I question completely gifted like every time. But what I do know about myself is that, not one person on earth can do what I do better than what I do. And um, it's a it's a, a place to go when somebody really, really, really wants to feel what and express what they're writing on on their lyric. And as a band that's willing to go there and and, and um, just give, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the focus is 100% on the on the spiritual tip, on the invisible tip, on the, the making the lyric, the God and, um, you know, and I uh, going deep, you know, yeah. and it, it's, it's really fun and it's invigorating and it's it, super, uh, uh, like whatever you thought the song was, it's, it's pretty much completely different at the end of the process. And, you know, there's no, um, there's no, uh, needing for people outside of that situation to like it, you know? So right. that it's like, this is me to the fullest, however weird or whatnot it is. And this is what you get. Yeah. And that's it. And is there one of those albums that you connect with the most on a personal level? I, I connect with all of them really well on a personal level. Like, uh, you know, we go, we go deep into it and, you know, and, and a lot of times I have to share my, um, deep secret that people don't know about in, in order to open up the room and, and for people to, you know, pertaining to the lyric, mm-hmm. um, staying on subject and, you know, with, with that purpose and to, uh, really allow a, a freedom for people to, to feel that it's safe. I used to watch the Corn Who Then Now documentary on VHS a lot. Yeah. And so, you know, I've seen you there with, you know, Jonathan Davis in tears. And I've heard the story about, you know, throwing the burning candle during the Slipknot sessions and all that. What's the biggest extreme you've taken, I guess, to bring something out of an artist? Um, being willing to feel and and being so interested and 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 willing to love the person in front of me so deeply that they're allowed to feel that feeling. And most people are terrified of that. It's not, it's not a real comfy place to sit. And, and for me, it's like seeing raw meat for a wolf. I love it. So is there someone that was like a super hard egg to crack and how did it feel to, you know, once you broke through that barrier that you were trying to get through? You know, everybody, everybody has their limits and their walls and it's quite the most amazing, incredible feeling ever of all time to see somebody finally open up 
and 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 surrender to whatever it is they're resisting and and i i'm i can't even explain how beautiful it is how life-altering it is and you know the it's just beautiful like there's nothing better nothing and it happens a lot and that said too how do you choose which projects you want to work on Uh, it, it needs to be cool really really cool and it also needs to be authentic um that's it <laughs> cool and authentic yeah that's simple. And it doesn't have to be hit songs it doesn't have to be like oh this is gonna be big you know it's not it's never been that um everything that went platinum multi-platinum and all that has been a fluke and and i think it's based from accidental hits you know or songs that people can really like open their hearts up to and it and you get these lifelong fans like after driving just got paid a million dollars to play coachella you know (laughs) they're an indie rock band you know glass jaw they can pack out any palladium sized house now like it's because the dudes just opened up all the way um it wasn't a hit song you know um, career bands, you know. So I host a show here, a local show, a new music show on Sunday nights on the radio station, and there's a ton of talent out there, you know, everywhere in every city. I always tell people, you know, everyone kind of started as a local band. What would you say to a band who's trying to take that next step? If they're authentic and super cool, uh, hit me up on Instagram. And if it tickles me in that best way, um, I've I can do it, you know, like I'll do it and it doesn't matter. I'll I'll find a way. If there seems no way, there'll be a way. And um, I'm always, always hungry for something that's going to be the one that, that, that either switches the genre or, or really knows how to, you know, crack open that chest cavity. You know, that's, oh my God. Yeah. I'm a slave that so have you had bands reach out to you before in like crazy ways that wanted to work with you yeah i get i get stuff you know people come drop stuff at my house or you know maybe whatever studio or you know it happens in all ways um just different kinds of relationships you know i have with people like um you never know you know it can be through anything um it's bizarre. So, um, that's why I like to say yes, you know, to people and not, um, push the real deals away, you know? Um, but I've not been going to shows as much and I've started going out a little more and, you know, just kind of seeing what's around LA. It, when the scene died so hard, it was, I got in the habit of not going out like everybody else, but the internet's pretty awesome to, you know, hear things. Do you have a preferred environment for the recording process? I I love isolation. Yeah, I think I prefer that. Yeah, because there's no distraction, and, you know, usually bands can't stand it. They hate it. It's like satanic almost. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but um um i found that you get much better 
um, result when it's isolated in a weird way. Kind of geeky stuff. I wanted to ask a couple, you know, recording process questions for, you know, any producer friends out there. Do you prefer small diaphragm condenser mics for overhead with rock bands? Does that make a difference for you? or? Um, it's weird. Like, I've used Royers or the you know the condenser mics or yeah you know, it it's strange it it kind of depends on the drummer the sticks the the actual cymbals um it could be like some nice tube mics or um or not you know it could be cheapy things but it's it's bizarre you you never know you never know um you just got to keep switching them out and as the craving is inside of you and you're feeling something it's really important to just switch it up, you know, and try things. Yeah, don't be scared to speak up, you know. And is there a special secret, I guess you could say, that you have to getting your guitars recorded, you know, so fully, especially on the low end? I would say the li- less mics, if you can get away with one mic, um, do that. Um, the more phasing you have across the console, the le- the smaller it gets. Um, the more tracks you have going with everything, the smaller it gets. Um, it just try to try to pretend like you're on tape, mm-hmm. where you only have 24 tracks. That's it, and and you'll have a better depth, and um, even better than that, go to tape. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and and that something excellent happens and it's hard to explain and a lot of people are you know lazy lazy mixers and engineers they don't like going to tape because it's a lot of work but it's better (laughs) i'm down for the extra work i love it yeah it makes it worth it for sure and then you touched on this a little bit i guess overall has technology changed the landscape of what you do Obviously, it has. People are gritting their drums, and you know, they're. Can Can you imagine um, John Bonham putting his drums, a take of his drums, on a grid, and right. making it in time? He would fist fight you. Yeah. <laughs> Jimi Hendrix, play to this, play this cowbell, king, 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 king. Every every metal video I see of studio stuff, I hear that ridiculous cowbell, and these guys like playing along to it i'm just like you're not playing music you're doing math yeah <laughs> you know it's sure it sounds good because you can make a, a nice math equation of course right. anybody can but what music is to me is a, a very deep emotional spiritual journey you know where you can breathe in breathe out and and you see something and your heart rate goes up and then you see that it's okay. And then it comes back down and you're relieved and like, you can't grid that out. You can't click track that out. You know, it, it's ridiculous to me. Yeah. I mean, of course there's exceptions, you know, there's geniuses out there that really smoke it, but um, for a rock band, that's supposedly pulsing together. It doesn't make any sense to me at all. Well, it takes those raw, personal touches out of it too yeah yeah the little golden nuggets man yeah like live for those things do you feel i guess the you know the true experience of listening to an album you know front to back like we always used to do on records do you feel that's lost at all in the days of you know people picking and choosing songs and singles and things like that well um what people are doing is 
is, uh, you know, with with our cell phones, we've become addicted to media. So um, our attention span is, you know, it's it's addiction. So it, it doesn't sit very long. It needs to move around fidgety like a crackhead. So, um, uh, yeah, you know, it was much more patient and as a listener you know the average listener was much more patient and willing to to really dive in and also you when you pay for something you respect it more and so you give it that chance and i remember listening to albums buying them as a kid and for a song that i really liked and then the record would not be as good and i would just i would give it a chance and i would you know, find something about it. And then there was this experience, even though I didn't like the other songs, I had it like an experience and there's no time for that. Now people don't care, yeah. you know, cause we're, we are all so full on addicted to our freaking phones. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's <everybody>. crazy. <laughs> and you know, to your point too, you know, investing your money into it. Like I used to ride my bike to the record store and spend all my hard-earned lawn mowing money, you know, on an album. And the exciting part was taking it home, ripping it open, checking out the artwork, reading through the lyrics. I mean, that kind of was part of the whole experience. Oh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And it's 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 respect. You just have, like, this incredible respect for for what you pay for. Yeah. You know, it's really easy to, to just get something for free and chuck it because it's trash. Yep. Basically, <laughs> disposable. Is it just me, or has there been a trend of artists recording EPs instead of LPs nowadays? Yeah, and, um, uh, you know, in in the 70s, bands would, you know, like there's some songs with like, you know, half hour music or less than a half hour or like nine songs or seven songs, and and then albums would be made like some bands would do two albums a year um and it would be you know a constant recording God, what was it um john made uh, three albums a year um for like six years it Jeez. was something insane when he first was doing it and like all of that creativity was flying out of him and basically it, it just didn't stop with that guy and, and his, and his lyricist. And it was just, you know, I, I don't think there's that level of genius out there right now doing that from what I know. I'm sure there are, obviously we're humans, but, um, I, I think, um, it's, it's more about, releasing something to stay relevant to have stuff pop up online it's that short attention span thing yeah you know it's not as art based as it was in the 70s that's for sure what do you do with your masters because obviously dude you know what happened with the universal fire right i mean were you affected by that i'm sure i was but i don't know about it oh really yeah (laughs) they didn't tell me (laughs) i saw it on there i was like oh Oh God, what's on that? What's in that locker? <laughs> but it's all right. The whatever version is out in the world, it doesn't matter. Who cares? Like, ooh, listen to what happened. You know, it's like, uh, I mean, it's it's cool to hear tracks separated and stuff. Like, I have some Queen songs, like Bohemian Rhapsody and some Marvin Gaye, and it's, 
it's like a crowd pleaser, but you know, the mixed version and on the radio is where we draw those memories from, you know? Yeah. So, and I have to ask this too, how magical is Indigo Ranch? I mean, I know that you've recorded a lot of albums there. There's a song about it. (laughs) Well, um, dude, like I, I went up there, um, and did a demo with some kid before the corn record. Um, just, you know, survival thing. And, and uh, that's how I found it. And then when it was time to do the the corn record, which was like, I don't know, three months later or something, um, I took the dudes up there and they were just so stoked. They were so happy to see it. But the main reason I wanted to record there is because there were Neil Young and Neil Diamond gold records on the wall it, and Olivia Newton-John. <laughs> <laughs> I was just like, oh, my God. Um, Nick Cave did a record up there. Uh, the Go-Go's did We Got the Beat. And, and it was also super cool. Martin Sheen would come up and do voiceovers, like, during my sessions all the time. Like, on, you know, the the owner would say, would it be, is it okay if Martin comes up today and does a two-hour session? I'm like, F- yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it was like, you know... It was magical. It was ridiculous. Like, I would stay up there most of the time, and I'd wake up, hike down this canyon, the the canyon that you hear with that, that sound of, of that little piece of metal bouncing in a canyon on the, the Roots album, yep. the first thing you hear. I would hike down that canyon, and then it was just all boulders, and it was pretty treacherous but there would be like a a little running stream and there was a section where i was able to to get in the water and then lay down and and just fully connect like deeply connect and you know basically terrified for the day coming and asking nothingness for help (laughs) and then i would hike up and i'd be fresh as a daisy and then that's when um whoever was up there would start be start waking up and oh yeah dude it was just ridiculous how great that was for me you know incredible can you tell the actual story of how the recording of that first corn demo came about we we recorded a a demo with a different singer and then we gave that to john john came down and sang to one of those songs in a rehearsal trying out for the band and he was after the old singer was kicked out and he was so you couldn't hear him sing because his voice was so quiet but the way he was freaking the out in the rehearsal room was it was like oh my god and you just you could hear like like something like wigged out and it was like chills all over everybody's body and it was like oh my god I'll never forget that. And, um, and he had this like Robert Smith makeup on and, you know, I'm, that's my favorite band in the world. And I was instantly in love with him, with John. And, um, and then, uh, yeah, there were no other tryouts. It was just him. And that was it. Uh, we did a demo and, um, it was on some other demo thing. I was doing gear, it was in this studio that um, this uh, shady engineer um, 
I used my name to put all the bills in my name because I was just a kid with no credit. And so when the bills didn't get paid, it ruined my credit and (laughs) it was all worth it. (laughs) I think a year and a half later, we did the first record and all the songs were revamped and redone. Um, In the beginning, there was like a, a happy kind of a silly fun side to what the dudes were doing with David and James and Reggie and um and then Brian joined and uh then we made everything minor, everything dark and Chaos A D was everybody's favorite record. <laughs> so that it was a cross between New Wave because John was a full new waver coming in. He wasn't even as an, an industrial guy, a Nine Inch Nails guy, more so than a new waver. And uh, so it had this, like, bizarre sensitivity and, and sweetness and, like, anti-tough guy thing and talent beyond belief. And, um, yeah, it just all meshed together. Dark minor chords. Steve Vai guitars, five-string bass. So maybe it was a four-string, but tuned down. And then, um, and then this severely awesome, dark, gothy, new wavy singer. And it was just the best thing ever. We've, we've, oh my God, yeah. My life was corn. It was all corn, nothing else. It was like, I, I felt as if I was in the band and I was booking shows and, you know, for at first and then, um, yeah. And yeah. And when things, people started coming in and doing it professionally and doing it well and doing it right. And the band started picking up and yeah, it was a trip. And wasn't Definitely. it like funded by somebody had a stash money or something like that? Is that, is that true? Um, I had, a, I had a friend who, has a family from Humboldt. He's from Humboldt and he's sold weed. Uh, and the Crips came in and held him up, hogtied him naked in the execution style and made him give him the, the, made him open the safe, gave him the combination. And they took everything with a gun in his mouth and, um, left him there. You know, and then um, he called me up asking if if I I wanted to do something, you know, start a label. Or I asked him if he wanted to start a label after I heard he was, you know, assaulted so gnarly. And um, he was like, yeah. (laughs) And then I I took him to, you know, rehearsal. This is with the old singer. So he was invested back then. That's crazy. Yeah, you never know how it's going to happen. I was a super straight-edge kid. Like, I never smoked a cigarette, nothing. And, yeah, so it was bizarre for me to use weed money to, you know, (laughs) do that. It was weird. Yeah. But awesome and and super sweet and so grateful. So on the next album, Life is Peachy, how do you produce a song, you know, like Twist? How did that come? Oh, um, he did a, um, he did like 
I, I had him do a voice percussion on shoots and ladders. And I think with the voice percussion, I heard it on a disco song. Um, Boogie Nights, I think, is the song. <laughs> and so I, John has this ridiculous sense of rhythm. And he used to, he used to be able to do the, like the, I don't know, some television theme song with, with beatboxing and his voice at the same time, he goes do 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 and and have the beat and it was really cool. So um, I had him do voice percussion, and um, you know he, I can't take credit for it. Maybe my story's off, but um, he made it better and advanced it. And we did it in Baltung. He, he took it to a, a whole other level. And then, um, that voice percussion, uh, he created something on his own that he was just probably, you know, staying up all night, Huntington beach style, just messing around. And, and he kept working on it cause he was good at it. It was really cool. And, um, and then, uh, on the first record in one of those sections where, there's a lot of talking in between songs and uh, David goes, I want to put a twist on a record. And, and John used to twist his, his dread and he was mm-hmm. always twisting his dread out of nervousness or something. Mm-hmm. And um, he goes, yeah, I'll, I'll do twist. Want to hear it? And, and he goes <laughs> with his dread. So that turned into the voice percussion and, and I think the riff was maybe Brian. It was just ridiculous. Or it just happened spontaneously. Like right then, that song took about three or four minutes to write. <laughs> it happened and it was the intro of the album. That's the best thing on that whole record, I think. Yeah, I love it. And looking back too, yeah. can you imagine you know, with those first two albums that things would be where they are now? I mean, could you even picture that? Dudes, like, in their late 40s with a career that's lasted this long, like, we had no concept of living. I thought before the first record, I would literally pray and ask the universe to keep those guys safe because I was afraid one of them was going to die. I swear every day, like I had this horrible feeling that something bad was going to happen to one of the dudes. And, and I don't know why, but, um, it's a miracle. It's a miracle. They're so beautiful in their, in their expression and how much they give to people. It's beyond belief. And so I was yeah. just talking to LeJohn from Seven Dust about this recently, but how did you get involved uh, with the Straight Up album? Um, I recorded uh, the last Snot song ever. And, um, uh, yeah, it, Lynn and I were really, really good friends. And I could say he was like, it was bizarre. Like he was like the one guy out of the whole scene that wherever he was, like 
like clockwork. He would call me up <laughs> and we'd just have this super cool talk and hang and on the phone. And it was just, we were real friends, you know, like deep, like really good friends, like a real one, you know, mm-hmm. like, and, uh, yeah, that's how I was involved. When you recorded the first Slipknot album, how do you handle, you know, nine guys in a band and they have keg drums and baseball bats and all these things? How do you kind of orchestrate that? Well, the in the beginning, everybody was straight edge. Like if if anybody did drugs, even pot, they were they would be kicked out of the band. They were super hardcore with it. And so that made it super easy. There was no insanity. Um, even though they seemed crazy, it was they were very, very, very hungry and willing and super, super, yeah, just super willing and extremely talented. And uh, all I had to do was create a, a loving, sweet environment, which was really easy and natural for me. And... And, you know, the creativity was just sparking everywhere. Like, it was just constant amazingness. And and I knew every take, if I started laughing, <laughs> then it was, we're keeping it. <laughs> so, <laughs> so um, it wasn't like people go, oh, the potted plant went flying through the air and all this and Ross is so crazy, but that's not the way it was. It was it was um, all about slamming as hard as you possibly could to whatever the lyric was about and and having the that guttural like laugh, like I cannot believe what I just felt. It was like <laughs> I would just laugh. It was so massive and beautiful. And all you could do is laugh and um, or cry or whatever. Just chills all over your body. It was like, <gasps> you know? And so my job was to for sure bring an environment that allowed that to happen, you know? And that that's super rare. And I can kind of feel that not there's not much laughter going on you know in a lot of people's albums um but uh you know that invisible ingredient is it's something man (laughs) it's life-altering literally is there a story behind what happened with purity on that first slipknot album because i remember buying the first one and then having to get like a different copy that had that song on it i think yep that was um, it was a, it was a crime page, and we thought it was totally real, and um, it was this girl buried. They found her buried alive from a rainstorm that like washed mud into an air hole that some psycho put her in a box in the ground with an air hole, and then the crime story was this uh, mentally disabled kid would go and record this girl, you know, telling her, tell me a story, 
sing a song for me. And, and it was just like this mentally disabled dude, like, you know, just talking to this hole in the ground and he didn't know that she was captive. He couldn't have a concept. So the police recovered the recordings and that's kind of how they found her, but she's already died. And basically it was her begging the guy to tell somebody that she's there trying to figure out a way to get him to, you know, help her when he wasn't mentally able to. And, um, but, uh, about the time when you had to buy the other copy, <laughs> yeah. um, it was a fake crime scene. Like somebody put it up online. It was all made up and the pictures were fabric. It was all fake. And it cost me personally a hundred thousand dollars because we used the girl's name and we used, a a soundbite of her voice and the dude sued us <laughs> and uh, yeah, hundred grand out of my pocket. And then the label paid another hundred grand for that one song. Yep. And then they took wow. the song off. Jeez. Yeah. It was like, God dang it. <laughs> no kidding. Yeah. So with the first Soulfly record, <laughs> one of my favorite records back when I was a kid, growing up with that one too and was blown away by the fact he had guys like Fred Durst and Chino of Deftones and Clive and Burton, et cetera. How did it come about to bring all those guys together for that album? There was a scene back then, man. Everybody just was, I mean, everybody loved Max and the dudes and basically it was just a simple, Oh, I'll call him. All right. Or, I want this, I want to get so-and-so here. All right. You know, it's like Gino was always up there at the studio though. Jeez. He's saying on so many guest spots. Like, I was like, <laughs> are you sure you want to get Gino? Everybody else did, <laughs> yeah. but he's always great. You know, the dude is so unique and awesome. Yeah. That's how it worked. It was just, everybody knew each other. Do you have a stance on when an artist comes in and they are dead set on doing a cover song? Um, you know, obviously like Limp Biscuit with Faith. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, what's crazy is um, those guys, like, I, I was like, oh, I don't want to do that song. and I don't think that's cool to do a cover song on this. I want it just to be you guys, you know? And they're like, oh, no, man, people love it when we play it live. It's everybody loves it so much i'm like all right all right cool and then um then uh, the the performance in the studio was so slamming it was just like jeez and then there was this this dj tone i had had it going through these guitar pedals and somehow we got it to where i don't know like this mix of things and i can't even i don't even know what it is and um and it, it was just magically perfect for that song. And, and it was just so freaking on fire, man. It's like, oh, my God. <laughs> I remember playing it for this, this folk artist, this girl that I knew way back then when the album came out. And I was, like, kind of scared to play it because it's, you know, so extreme. And, and I remember her just saying, oh, this is really good. I'm like, really? <laughs> I was like, oh my God, the band was so right. 
so. And and then um, the the record went gold, and then they released that Faith song after it went gold, and it went platinum in like you know a few days later because yeah. of Faith. Yeah, it was just like Jesus. <laughs> what the hell? Speaking of Limp Biscuit, you're still. I think listed under the credits, right, for the new album. And I have to ask, you know, are the damn disco elephants ever going to stampede? Because I know it's been going on for a long time now. I heard this from people, but not from the band. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. I didn't do anything with it. Um, I, I mountain bike with Wes, and we send messages to Fred through Wes, you know, Fred and I. Um, you know, and also I, I'm deeply, deeply connected and love those guys with all my heart. Um, always will. Yeah. So in that way, I'm involved, <laughs> you know, they've got my support. That's for dang sure. And so are there any new artists out there on your radar right now that we should check out or know about that we might not? There is this this really cool thing that I was looking at but not working on um, this band called Girl Pusher it's a I, I don't even I, I went there with Sonny Skrillex and um, I don't know if he's going to do something with them I was but um, they opted out and so I, I'm not really sure what they're going to do but it's just this insanely awesome rugrat girl who's just so badass and she's from Bakersfield as well and um and then this uh DJ kid he does like electronic beats but he also plays drums and uh yeah they're really really special yeah and um this artist I did uh, Amigo the Devil is really cool um I think some European metal magazine said it's heavier. It's it's actually acoustic and voice, like singing songs about kind of like, uh, I don't know, just self-reflection and serial killers. And But they say it's, it's heavier than the heaviest black metal band. And, um, and uh, I'm pretty proud of that. <laughs> nice. Yeah, there's, there's stuff. I just did a, a song with, Touche Amore. It's more of the at the drive-in glass jaw world, kind of hardcore. Um, yeah, I just I I love things that are unique, passionate, and badass. And it doesn't have to be a big band or anything. I'm yeah. I'm just yeah. I love love doing this. It's so cool. So you mentioned the Cure being your favorite band. What does that feel like when you basically get to work with your favorite band? I mean, is that something you ever would have dreamed of? No. Um, it feels like for me, it was it was such a I was on such a high the whole time. Um, I was I I got Steve Evitz to engineer for me, and we were um, in Europe and. We were recording in um, Olympic for six months. And I remember 
walking to a coffee shop after dinner while we were in the studio real quick and we were depressed because we only had a month left <laughs> like we were just it was it was when i discovered that no matter what if you're elated and inspired and truly happy there's no such thing as fatigue or tired the, the sleep was like probably three and a half hours every day. Um, and then uh, Evitz and I would go to the gym in the morning and get our cardio and stuff in and then have breakfast and start all over. And and Robert would, you know, end, like he would be finished <laughs> at like 6.30 in the morning, 7. <laughs> so... We would start every day probably, I think it was it was like 12.30, and then go all the way to 7 a.m. A lot of days, like months. And uh, it was it was elation to the max. And, um, and I knew uh, whatever the voice was saying inside of me, no matter how brash or gnarly it was, um, I knew I owed it to all the people that love the band as much as me and the fans and that I had to be authentic in what I was doing, whether it be what people liked or not, it's none of my business, but what my business was is to make sure that those guys were alive and knowing what they are is, is, is the f-ing cure in my favorite band of all time. And they need to be that. And, um, you know, there was, there was some rub with maybe a couple band members, but with Robert, it was a hundred percent in sync. Um, I was saying everything. I think that he couldn't to those guys because he, 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 you know, when somebody like him says something, I, I remember the, the fire starter, the dude that did, just passed away was partying in the, in the studio one night and talking about his drugs and how cool this mix of this drug was with that drug. And, and Robert went up to him and told him to leave and said something else. And, and the guy was crushed. I was like, Whoa, that's like the power of respect and God holiness. It was like, Holy man, I am so glad I'm not on the other end of any kind of criticism from him. <laughs> yeah. And he was the coolest, most amazing dude probably that I've ever worked with in my life. He's just the f-ing coolest man. Like, I couldn't imagine anybody being better than what I would hope my musical idol would be and he is oh my god there's a reason everybody loves him i've had a little taste of that too because i'm always worried when i meet you know we have every band ever come through here and i always fear i'm going to meet one of my idols and just it's going to crush me because they're going to you know ruin it (laughs) yeah (laughs) terrible yeah it's 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 a worry every single time especially you know i met the corn guys a number of times and they couldn't have been cooler but that was one of those things yeah. growing up. You know, I had the posters on my wall, the T-shirts, and I was like, I, I just, I hope 
they're cool, good guys, you know, otherwise it's just going to be crushing. And <laughs> Yeah. Oh God. Yeah, Johnny, Johnny Rotten lives like 15 houses away from me. And, um, this little girl, I was walking by his house and this little girl was staring inside of his gate and looking in his house and him and his wife came out and they were like, Oh, look at you. You're just the most sweet, beautiful thing. Oh, and the girl was like, had no idea who she was talking to. Obviously she was like three. Her parents didn't know who the hell he was. And (laughs) he was like this sweet old English man, you know, like in his pajamas. And I was just like, Oh God. I wish oh, I wish everybody could see that. Yeah, because I've you actually know? become fans of bands that were just that cool and that real, and you know. Yeah, yeah, everything we hope for. Exactly, it's made me yeah. become fans of bands I didn't know I would just based on that alone. Outside of the music part of it. Oh God, yeah. Talking about you know the Cure and everything you've done in your career, is there still a unicorn band out there or an artist you're still just dying to work with? I have to say that it's it's the next unknown that just moves me to my core. You know, I, it, there's it, after the after the cure. I spent a decade racing dirt bikes and motocrossing my face off and and breaking. I broke twenty seven bones, and it was just like. There, there was so many highs and so many extremes that I, I think I became addicted to that level of danger. And, you know, I had a live-in mechanic and, you know, so it was, it was like, I, I kind of threw, threw away what I built in a weird way, but the industry was changing and, and I was, you know, but what, what my point is, is, a new band with new um, thoughts and ideas and that ravenous hunger to give, to express, to, to be um, alive and through the music and actually lives and breathes like, like a f***ing lifer for music with passion. And, you know, that, that to me is my dream. And so far I've, been able to relive that dream over and over and and i'm always always there to um to support that one always and um i feel like that um the amigo the devil thing i did is that it went from it's it's kind of blowing up in in its world and um but i yeah just something that i've not heard you know, like what, you know, somebody that isn't afraid to use their real voice and, and somebody that isn't, is totally about being authentic in what they're doing and not knowing why, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> they have to, there's no choice. And, um, to me, that's the milk of the gods. That's everything. Oh my God. Yeah. That's my dream. And as you're saying that too, so offline, Later on, I'm going to send you over some stuff if you want, because there's, you know, we get music that comes from here all the time. I deal with all the local bands here in the in Boise, and you know, I'll definitely if you want new music. Oh man, 
Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. Anything that you feel, I'm so there. It's it's my it's my passion, for yeah. sure. I'm not known as the go-to guy that old bands use. I'm I find new things or I do new things, you know, or whatever through people like you. You know, it comes. That's um, my biggest thing too. Is you know, there's so many bands out there that have so much talent but they haven't been discovered or no one they're trying to break through that barrier and they can't. And I'm just, I get frustrated because I'm like, someone needs to hear this. Someone needs to do something with this. And so, you know, that's why I have a show special for that where I can put those bands on the air and give them that, you know, exposure. Um, And it means the world to them because they're getting just a a little bit, you know, of an exposure. And I, I kind of do it in the way of like old school radio, you know, and you couldn't, you couldn't sneak yeah. peek or get a leak of a song. Like you had to listen to the radio to hear the premiere yeah. of the song. And so I still, you know, they'll send me music before they even put it out on their Facebook page or, you know, cause everyone wants to, to rush things out nowadays. And these guys will, you know, they'll make sure that I get it first so we can do a, a premiere and it can be special. They can huddle around a boom box at home and they can hear it on the radio. And oh it's, my it's a, God. Yeah. It's a really just <laughs> special thing. What a dream gig. Holy crap. Yeah. And so it's it's amazing for me because I grew up with music and in the local scene. And so to kind of it's almost like giving back to it in a way, but I still get geeked out about it, you know, and that's why just talking to you, I'm like, you know, I get like goosebumps just talking about it. Oh, my God. Yes. Isn't it so much better than just hearing another great version of another, of the same band? You know, it's like, OK, <laughs> this is really cool. But, <laughs> you know, <laughs> Like every headlining band on the throughout the festivals all over, they're they're all freaking my age, you know. It's like, come on, what's going on? Like <laughs> the badasses used to be at least in their twenties, and that those days are gone. And dude, I'd love to. Yeah, it's just it's time. Yeah. Times are changing. And there's, like I said, there's a ton of stuff out there. One of the biggest compliments I ever get is when somebody hears a song over the radio and they're like, that was a local band? They're from around here? I'm like, yeah. You know, there's talent out there. Yeah. You just have to find it. And so, yeah, so I go around turning over a lot of rocks to find those things. And so that's why I was asking, you know, if you're wanting to see new stuff. 100%. Yeah, you, you have my, did you see my phone number when I called? No, it just pops up as your name. Uh, I'll, I'll text, I'll send it to you so you, you have me. And, um. Love um, it. A couple other things I was going to ask you is just one: Are you still playing music yourself? You know, I guess playing music is for me is um, working with musicians. <laughs> so like, like working on artists is my guitar, and you know, of course, I can, I, you know, I can grab it and say something like this, you know, and I'll be kind of violent with the guitar or something or you know hit a note or something and kind of freak it out and and then hand it back to them you know that's that's as far as I go with playing um it I I think as a a player my ear falls apart (laughs) and I become too judgmental yep and as a listener I'm able to be uh super patient and understanding and know that there's something great there and dig. It's a, it's a whole different thing. It's, it's difficult. Um, 
as a musician in that uh, I get in my own way. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I've worked through it since all this time has passed, since the 80s. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I, I really, really, really enjoy and love what I do, and I'm very satisfied with it, and there's no need for my ego or whatever to say, hey, check me out, look what I did, you know? Totally. It's just, it's kind of, eh, With but, all your years doing it, I mean, what continues to motivate you? Is it finding those new bands or getting in the studio? Oh, dude, it was, it's that, that breathless feeling of when the slam is happening. It's just like, oh, you know, it's like, it's like drinking water or when you're dying of thirst or, you know, it's just, to me, it's proof that God exists when that invisible presence of dude slamming and it, it just permeates through my core, you know, it's, it's incredible. Um, that's timeless. It's forever. It's infinite. And every time somebody gives everything they have, it's recorded and you play it back, it gives everything he has every time you play it. (laughs) So billions of plays after, and then you play it again, same level. So (laughs) I can put on Norma Jean, uh, something off of you know what's that blueprint song or there's stuff that that just like tears start coming out of my eyes you know like i'm like oh my god um that song motel the white locust i think it is on glass jaws first record tears come to my eye i'm like (gasps) (laughs) it's like holy um you know, there's these moments that just rock me to my core as if it's happening in front of me all over again. So um, that's that's what I love about true, authentic expression. It just never stops, man. And so I have to tell you, man, you literally were like the first producer I ever learned, you know, by name. And your, Whoa. Yeah, yeah. And, and your work is kind of what taught me how the importance – of a good producer, you know, and what the role they play in everything. So really, you know, just for that, I just want to say, you know, thank you um, for what you've done Whoa, for thank music. You. Wow. And then also, you know, thank you for taking the time to, to talk to me about all of it. Of course. And, and just so you know, like um, I've said this a bunch of times before, you know, to bands or whoever, it's like, I am nothing without you. And um, together we're something, you know, and that's that's the most important um part of all of this is is we need each other and and it's really really cool